Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That you have that privilege to be able to afford that you know that's not health that's not wellness health is is much broader than that it is um you know where you live it is your socioeconomic status it's your education level it's your your income it is your genetics all these things that people forget that they are enormously privileged not to have to face those problems and those are the things that um that actually impact on your health to think that your health is impacted on by you know, some magical remedy sold for way more than some people will ever make in, you know, a month or, or more um, is just so elitist. Uh, and and that, that really, really grinds my gears when it comes to, to wellness. It, it pretends to be really, you know, egalitarian. It pretends to be really inclusive. It pretends to be feminist. And it's none of that. It is elitist crap. I'm your host, Natalie Drenovac, and this is The Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. Today's episode is with Dr. Nikki Stamp. She's one of 11 female cardiothoracic surgeons in Australia, an author, mentor, and a champion of women's health. Every day, we are swamped with misinformation, whether it be politics, news, lobbying, and even our elected leaders. Our smartphones enabling us to be exposed to this every minute of every day, and this can sometimes result in confusion and harm, especially in the health context. It's hard to be an active agent of one's own health when we can't even decipher what it means to be healthy. As a medical professional, Dr. Nikki is passionate about correcting false narratives, and throughout today's episode, we discuss the balance between expertise versus simple opinion, how to identify false information, being empowered to ask questions, and taking ownership of your own healthcare. We touch on the wellness industry, persistence of disproven medical claims, and how sometimes privilege results in us having a Western elitist approach to healthcare. If you love this episode or any other episode of the podcast, make sure you are subscribed wherever you love to listen so you don't miss any upcoming episodes for when they go live. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Nikki. Thank you for having me. Let's kick off with your rapid fire. Who was your first celebrity crush? This is really embarrassing, actually. (laughs) I don't know if you remember Jeremy Jordan. He had 
they had a song that they used to play at the end of um, Beverly Hills 90210 and Donna would go into the peach pit and um, go, oh, my God, Jeremy Jordan, cool. Um, so that is my very, very shameful first celebrity crush. I do not remember that, but 90210 <gasps> was, the, uh, one, was the one night a week I was allowed to stay up and actually watch it. <laughs> You should you should be thankful that you don't remember it because I do and now I've got that song stuck in my head and also I'm feeling quite embarrassed. <laughs> um, what could people better understand about you? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, that if I'm being um, uh, if I'm being direct, it's uh, it's not. I'm not being harsh. I'm just being. I'm just telling it like it is. Honesty. Some people really can't quite swallow it, can they? <laughs> Maybe my delivery's off. I don't know. <laughs> what do people seemingly get wrong about you? Would you say the same? I, I yeah, the same. I just don't think you know, people think that. Um, I think people see women who are, you know, seemingly achieving. Um, and I think that uh, everyone thinks that it either comes easy or that everything's cool, you know, that everything's going well or that, um, you know, it's just been one success after another and that is 100% not the case for most people, myself included. It's funny how we must make sure that everyone's suffering equally. <laughs> it sometimes becomes a bit of a competition. I don't know if you notice that, but um, yeah, it sometimes feels like it's a competition to see who is who is the most um, you know disadvantaged. Um, you know, and obviously there is levels of disadvantage. But yeah, I think I think we like to to sort of feel that yeah everyone everyone is doing it tough, and you know everyone can put your minds at rest because pretty much everybody is doing it tough in some one way or another at one time or another. Completely agree. Uh, what do you wish you had have known when you started out? I wish I had known. Oh God, I think I wish I had known what I just said <laughs> that <laughs> things just don't unravel happily for you. <laughs> I wish I'd known that. Yeah, that, you know, life throws you some curveballs, and that's cool. So, on the flip side, what do you love most about being a surgeon? Oh, that's easy. Patience. Hundred um, percent. Far and away, the best part of my job um, is helping people. So around Christmas time, I got quite a few messages from people who were like, oh, my God, you did my operation last year or you operated on my dad and or my uncle or whoever. Um, you know, thank you so much. And, you know, thank you. And that was, like, just outstanding. By far and away, the best part of my job. It must be quite unreal to have a job where you literally save people's lives. Oh, I'm I'm just a part. I'm just one part of the big machine that does. Um, and I think sometimes I get a little bit desensitized to it because it just seems like such a normal occurrence for me. Um, and then I stop to think when I get messages like that. I'm like, wow, that's some that's a massive privilege. Most definitely. Uh, and lastly, for the rapid fires, who is a female role model for you, and why? Uh, I'm going to say my mum, actually. Um, even though I have plenty of role models I look up to, like in my my profession and, you know, more you know, public sort of, I suppose, celebrity-type role models, but um, I think if I had to sort of embody or try to embody someone's values and, and ethics, it would definitely be my mum. She is hardworking. She is tough as nails. 
Um, and she's really sweet and nice until she's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's really beautiful. If you push too far, then you're in trouble. <laughs> but, but, yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, those values mean a lot to me. Uh, so I've got to admit, when I first started following you on the social platforms, my wife was rather ecstatic because um, she's remarkably <laughs> evidence-based and I can be mm-hmm. a bit more open to thinking about alternative mm-hmm. approaches. Um, however, right. through many of the discussions that I certainly had with her, uh, my eyes are definitely open to the harmful effects uh, those making health and medical claims and the absence of evidence can have on people. And so I do mm-hmm. want to dive into and tackle the topic of misinformation, but I thought we could actually yep. start with your personal experience being one of 11, what, sorry, being only one of 11 female heart surgeons in Australia, because I've actually read an article of yours with the title, I'm a female surgeon, I feel uncomfortable telling girls they can be one too. And I would love to explore why you say that. Mm. Yeah, so you're right. Um, there's really not many female surgeons in general in Australia. And this is um, very uh, comparable around the world, I should also mention. You know, we're not, um, you know, we are in the antipodes, but we're not <laughs> behind everybody else. These kinds of uh, levels of representation are fairly uh, similar between, say, us, the UK and the US. Um and when I when I was a student, I didn't. So, and, and when I was a you know teenager, I didn't sort of appreciate the way the world worked. I don't think. I think it was. Um, I was a bit naive, and I also grew up in a family where I was told I could do anything and be anything. So uh, getting into the real world and finding out what it's actually like was a bit of an eye opener um, for me, and. Not, not not in a good way. Um, as I've gotten older, I, I feel like I'm getting increasingly cynical um, and disappointed and, you know, feeling like we're constantly um, trying to push for things to get better. And, and I think this, I, I have this feeling about a lot of things, you know, even on a more broader social perspective. I think here in Australia, we've been really, you know, we've had a really tough summer, um, which we sort of mentioned before we, we started recording. You know, it's, it's been, you know, a difficult time and you feel like you're constantly pushing for change, you know, whether it be for me for gender equality, you know, climate change, um, all these other kinds of things. Um, and we, it just feels like we're never getting anywhere. Um, and I think when when it starts to feel like that, yeah, I for me, in my position, I do start to wonder if we're not making any changes, should I really be recommending people follow in the path that I'm following, that I'm trying to carve out for us all? Because it's really hard. Um, you know, life is hard enough. Um, it presents problems just without you seeking them out that are challenging and, and make make life and day-to-day life really tough sometimes. So why would you seek out any more trouble? And that was sort of what I was thinking um, when I started writing that. I think that was um, Washington Post. Um, but the thing is, is that, that that sort of thinking that, you know, God, why would I ever recommend this to anyone? That should, should have been impetus to say, don't do this. Don't follow in my footsteps. Um, don't try and change the status quo. That should be an impetus for everybody, male, female, other um where whatever you do to be sufficiently embarrassed enough that that this this job this pathway this life is so 
difficult and challenging and at times, you know, completely unacceptable and outside of the norms of what we think is acceptable behaviour, that it's that bad that we should be embarrassed enough to want to change it. Um, so rather than saying to, to women, to girls, you know, are you sure you want to do whatever, career, sport, etc., because it's tough, don't say that. Stop trying to change them and change their pathway. How about changing the system and the problems in it instead? And that was sort of what I was getting at with, with, with that piece. I really love that because I, very similarly to you, grew up in an environment or, and I've certainly had a life where I've never had this moment where I thought, oh, as a woman, I can't do something. And so when mm -hmm. you start to really understand the system and the way things have been set up and the systematic issues that we're currently all facing, you kind of feel hopeless sometimes whilst then still wanting to strive mm. for change and do better. Yeah, exactly right. I think that, that sums it up really, really, really well. Um, I think a lot of people can sort of relate to it. It's, you know, it's, just, it's tiring, isn't it? Well, I feel, and something that I wanted to discuss with you was, I mean, females graduating medical school is the same as when it comes to law. More women are graduating, yet we mm -hmm. aren't really um, piercing the glass ceiling of careers being on, you know, for law, whether it's you're on a part, you're a partner and you're on the boards and all the yep. rest of that. Um, why do you think it's still happening in the medical industry, even though more women are coming through? Oh, so this is, I suppose, a million dollar question. I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's sort of two sides of it. I think practically you do need to consider what your whole life is going to look like. Um, so in that in that regard, if you want to do, say, surgery, for example, after you leave medical school, you know, it is a little bit more difficult if you want to have a family. And I think it's entirely reasonable to sort of say, listen, I want to have a family, um, you know, I, that's my priority, so that's not for me. Um, and this is, I suppose, what feminism and, and equality is about, to be able to have that choice. So I think people choose choose that that pathway because because of their own priorities, and I think that's fine. I think, though, the bigger problem is that um, people feel like that, that they have to choose, that you can, you can only have one or the other, um, that we're not supporting people to, to have a career that is um, conducive to having um, a family or a hobby or sleep, you know, and I don't think that's unique to, to women either. I think a lot of <laughs> fairly basic human requirement. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think more men are starting to feel that way as well. They also want some balance and, um, you know, other opportunities in their in life. But the, the more, I suppose, the more pressing and damaging issue that I think steer, steers a lot of, women and girls away from, from these sort of male-dominated careers is that there is still this very um, sometimes overtly and sometimes covertly sexist environment. And that can look like anything from sexual harassment and, and you know, and worse. Um, it can look like, you know, microaggressions. It can be systemic issues. You know, for example, if you want to have a family, not being able to access uh, parental leave, uh, particularly with, with both partners, um, you know, uh, just just these sort of you know systematic issues um, and sometimes these very personal directed at you um, unpleasant moments that really uh, sort of turn people off that career and I think that the, those those are the things that warrant intervention more acutely than than say you know encourage you know, these other sort of like more um, 
you know, individual level choices um, because those, those sorts of problems, they, they just they just really shouldn't happen. They, they, they are just wrong um, and those those things absolutely need to be addressed in order to sort of equal out the, gen- the gender balance in, in surgery. Have you personally found that there's been a very big change within yourself and how you address things like that when they are being presented to you personally? Yeah, and I think uh, that the change in in my approach has happened, first of all, as I've sort of wised up about the way the world works, um, but also as I've gotten a bit more senior um, in my career and, uh, you know, as a as a junior doctor, you don't really have um, you don't have protection, you don't have seniority, you don't have the um, the the ability to sort of call behaviour out because there are consequences to doing that, um, and it's not always safe uh, or, or recommended to do that. Uh, so I think that um, as I've gotten a bit older and wiser, but also like I say, more senior more independent um i i definitely call those sorts of behaviors out and i work hard at making those changes at a systemic level um but you know even then i'm in a very vulnerable position i know that my outspokenness about these issues within my profession uh puts a target on my back i would be very um i i I mean it's hard to sort of say with certainty, but I'm pretty sure that there are uh, there are moments when my career trajectory or my opportunities or even just the way people treat me uh, has been uh, altered perhaps in a negative way because I stand up for what I believe in. And that hurts a bit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm well within my rights. I'm, I don't single people out. I don't make it a personal attack. I use data, not... Um, not stories about people that I know. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to make this about the system and not individual people involved. So when when I sort of get, um, you know, run into problems because I, I try to make things a bit better, um, it, it really hurts and, and, you know, it does make you question, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> why do I keep pushing um, myself? Yeah, why? Why am I so silly? Um, but you know, honestly, at the end of the day, I don't know any different to than to speak up and and try and make things a bit better. So, you know, I'm going to keep doing it, and and eventually, the people who try to make my life difficult for being outspoken will be in the very very quiet minority. Yeah, well, it's that kind of thing that someone has to create the change to begin with. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if, if I um, create a better environment, I can, I'm not going to say I'm doing this single-handedly, but if something I do and contribute to, um, along with many, many other people who are working really hard to make the world a, you know, a better place, um, if I can contribute to that, you know, and make it better for people coming behind me, then, you know, I'll, I'll take the hit. I've got, even though I get annoyed by it, I've got broad shoulders and I'm, I'm ready to, to go into battle, I suppose. Have you noticed um, any changes or what changes have you noticed most, I should say, um, in regards to your male colleagues as, I guess, societal changes have happening have been happening between men and women in the last few years? Mm, yeah, that's a really good question. I think there has been some improvement um, in some people, um, but uh, I think that there are two very, very big downsides 
um, to more discussion. And I, I'm sure this happens whatever your, your cause is, whether it be about, you know, race and, uh, you know, other sort of um, relative minorities in, in the workplace. But I think the two problems that I see that, are, that really concern me and they're changes that I've definitely noticed probably in the last five or six years have been pushing this kind of, um, uh, I suppose, discrimination underground. So it's really, really hard to call out, which means it's really, really hard to do something about. Um, and I see a lot, and I think this is more in, in the older generation, although not exclusively, of people um, denying that there's a problem. Um, so I've certainly been told, you know, I had a former boss who told me that um, I need to stop thinking about everything through a gender lens, um, that not everything's about sexism. Um, and it's, it's not, it's it's all in my head. So no, um, no, mate, it's it's not in my head. Um, you know, if you want to call yourself a scientist and, you know, I can show you data up the wazoo to show that what I'm talking about is real and legitimate. But more importantly, um, when people say that, particularly when there's, you know, someone who's a, a mentor, a boss or, a, you know, a teacher um, ignores what you're saying in your experience, um, that's very hurtful. Um, and even if you don't believe the data, um, you know, sure, but why don't you believe me? Why can't you look at my experience and say, even just say, that must be really hard for you? Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like how hard, how hard is it to have some empathy in your soul? Very hard. <laughs> That's the answer, very hard. <laughs> so I love that you kind of teed me right up there talking about data because I would like to dive into misinformation, but just before we do, mm-hmm. I'd love if you could share your credentials and run us through at just a high level the time it takes to become a heart and lung surgeon as you are. <laughs> okay, um, a long time. So um, I... Um, I started out life as a science student um, and then I changed to medicine. Um, So I have uh, a degree, a Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery with honours. And then I started um, as an intern, which is like your first year out of uni um, as a doctor. And then I, the year after that, I started surgical training. So it takes, in Australia, it takes about 10 years um, to specialise in anything um, that includes general practice. Um, and I, so I did that. So I, I also have a degree in anatomy. Um, and I have a fellowship from the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons in cardiothoracic surgery. I'm also a PhD candidate uh, looking at behaviour change um, and how to encourage people to be more physically active after they've had um, heart surgery. Um, I think that's about it. <laughs> so, so, so in total, how many years is that? So, um, to to qualify as a surgeon, it was um, six years of medical school, and for me, I did nine years of specialty training, so it's fifteen years. Um, and and yeah, I know, right? Um, and then uh, I. Yeah, my PhD is going to take me six years because I'm doing it part time. Um, but you know, even you know, you never stop learning. You have to demonstrate ongoing learning. So um, it just it, it never stops. I think I think that's reassuring. Yeah, <laughs> that's very well, reassuring. So you don't want you don't want anything else, really, do you? <laughs> no, I mean, even just saying the the sheer amount of years that you've had to dedicate to learning 
And the reason I really wanted Mm -hmm. you to share that was because as we talk about tackling misinformation, um, I wanted to uh, have you first share why does it matter to you so much about tackling misinformation around health? Because I do find that due to social media and its platforms, uh, there is a large amount of people now sharing lots of information, but a lot of it is certainly Mm -hmm. misinformed. Yeah, so I think that for me it matters because, um, you know, I'm starting to see more people um, go down a pathway of following information, whether they get it from social media or from, you know, family, because, you know, we've all, you know, old wives tales, you know, we, we still have those in circulation. Um, so I'm starting to see it a little bit more. Um, you're starting to see a few more um, cautionary tales, I should say, so people who have pursued um, health advice um, either to treat an illness or prevent an illness or, you know, the pursuit of, you know, um, you know, dieting and exercise to look a certain way or to compete in a sport or something like that. It's going to see a few more people come through who are compromising their health by following this information. And I find that really, really concerning. Um, and I think that uh, we, we're living in an age where science is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of distrusted and, and you know, it's fake news and, you know, manipulation of what we see and what we read. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, that documentary on Cambridge Analytica. Um, yes. Know, it was just such an eye-opener. Right, like, you know, it's how easily we can be manipulated. I was just going to say just the the sheer amount of misinformation across so many different mediums um, and the common trend and the way Mm -hmm. that it's just, you know, malicious actors are wanting to sway public opinion. And I every time I watch something like that, I think to myself, what is fucking wrong with you? Why are you trying to be so damaging towards society and the larger population? I know, it's true. Do you know, I I was um, flying back from Melbourne last week and I started watching, um, not Bombshell, but there was a um, series, I, I don't know where it's available, but it was about the, the Fox, the sort of genesis of Fox News um, and their um, CEO and all the difficulties that, you know, he's had with regards to sexual harassment and sexual assault. But um, I only got to the point, I didn't get to that point where he started um, assaulting people. Um, I got to the point where Fox News was was basically being born. Um, and, you know, obviously it's a dramatisation of, of real life events but the manipulation that they sort of went through like they they pulled out this um i suppose this talkback show host from the deep south or somewhere um to be their main anchor and they're like yeah but he's not a political reporter and they're like who cares he just runs his mouth and tells his opinion and because he's going to then be a talking head on and you know what turned out to be a major news station people believe what he says um, and that's sort of what we're what we're in. It's, it's like um, it's, it, the whole world is advertising. You know, and my, one of my favourite shows is Mad Men and Don Draper can so easily manipulate you to believe a certain thing so that you go and buy a product. What we mm-hmm. see um, as news or, or, or information um, is no different. We are being manipulated, Make, you know, no, no bones about it. And sometimes you're right, sometimes that's people just being malicious. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, it, I think there are a number of people who are really well-intentioned. Um, they are not out to hurt us. Um, they, they, they genuinely feel like they're doing a good thing, but that kind of gets lost in translation. 
Um, so it's why, you know, I don't tend to be, you know, 100% come down hard on people who are um, maliciously, who are um, spreading misinformation, who are profiting off it, either through um, profiting in terms of fame or, you know, power or money. I'm pretty harsh with those people if they are knowingly yet ignorantly going down that pathway. But, you know, I think... I think people do deserve the benefit of the doubt that, you know, there are some people genuinely trying to do something good in the world and it's just the execution <laughs> isn't there. Well, I mean, referring to John, to Don Draper, I don't mind if I'm um, given paid advertising because I've looked up a product and I'm buying a product. But I think that right. the thing that intrigues me is that when it comes to my health and the misinformation around that and becoming a lot more critically minded around who's giving me information mm-hmm. about the like the sheer way in which I should treat my body and I mean you you speak about it so mm-hmm. um so beautifully in your book pretty unhealthy around how our sheer desire to look better is mm-hmm. actually at the sacrifice of what would be better for our health yeah and and I think that's where we're starting to get messy and I don't, I don't think this is a new message that you know we're told to look a certain way um and that has been associated with health I think that's 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 old news. That's you know our mothers and grandmothers had that. Um, it was just given through a different medium. It was given through magazines or um, through family pressure or peer pressure or something like that. Social media, social media is an amplifier of humanity, and sadly, sometimes it's the less good parts of humanity that come out. Um, you know. There's there's nothing there's nothing new about people being mean to one another. There's nothing new about people making money. There's nothing new about people um, talking about things that they don't know about. This is not new. The thing that is new is that the reach is enormous. The sheer volume of information, the rapidity at which that information is disseminated, is massive. Just out of control. The other side of social media is that, you know, let's just say, I don't know, let's say there's half a dozen women's magazines that you had available to you, um, you know, let's say 30 or 40 years ago. You know, that was a relatively small amount of information compared to what you have now where you can follow thousands of people and anyone who has a smartphone and, you know, lost weight or goes to the gym or makes pretty, you know, Buddha bowls or whatever can call themselves an expert or call themselves an influencer. And because of the volume and and um, and, and this all shiny, you know, part of social media, it's really hard for us all to kind of discern who is legitimate and who isn't. So what would you say would be your advice in regards to as everyday consumers deciphering between false and true true information and so we can, you know, differentiate between an expert opinion like yours and someone who just happens to have 50,000 Instagram followers? Yeah, I think I think the first thing to say is that it is difficult because I certainly know there are people who are, are you know, experts or, you know, um, there are doctors, for example, who share information that is way outside of accepted thinking. Um, but because they have a qualification, it legitimises what they say. So, so I think the first thing to say is don't beat yourself up if it's confusing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we are all prone to falling for for, you know, dodgy messages. You know, it's not about us. Um, what we should be, people we should be taking exception, is, exception with, I should say, are the, are the people who are um, taking advantage of, of what we 
of what we you know need or want um so i think but that being said qualification is important so um if someone is giving you nutrition advice for example unless they have a high level qualification in nutrition i.e they are a dietitian they um have uh you know degrees they work in that area then you know they shouldn't be shouldn't be giving out health advice um you know anecdotes for example is one thing that we see a lot of people um particularly i think in the fitness and wellness space saying you know i um I cleared up my skin or I uh, lost this weight or whatever by doing by doing this, therefore that makes me an expert. I think anecdotes are very powerful. I think anecdotes have a role because, you know, we're naturally drawn to telling stories. Um, but, you know, just keep in mind that just because that worked for one person doesn't necessarily mean that it will work for you. I think you've got to also, in a similar vein, is look at what people are telling you with a bit of a critical eye. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, so if you're sort of finding that, um, you know, that, um, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of things, you're very attracted to it, just stop and sort of think, you know, who is this person? What what are they? What are they trying? What is the message they're trying to get across? What tools are they using to get that messaging across? So you know, beautiful pictures, or um, you know, are they? Is it paid advertising? All those sorts of things. We need to be media literate and and be looking looking at these kinds of things uh, critically. And of course, if 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 the information, like I say, um, is outside of accepted thinking, if you're seeing someone who's saying. You know, I have um, I have discovered the way. Um, you know, everyone else is wrong. I'm right. You know, look, there are times there are times when those people are going to be onto something because you know there have been certainly discoveries made in science um, over many many years where there has been someone who has you know gone out on a limb and said something different and they've they've been correct. Um, but that that the they're the exception, not the rule. Um, so when someone's sort of really, really outside of, um, you know, accepted thinking and accepted practice, you need to be very, very cautious with those people. Uh, how much does this impact you when you have uh, clients come in, oh, sorry, patients come in and you're offering them advice and then they mm-hmm. refer back to, you know, I, Dr. Google told me X. Like, does that happen quite commonly these days or? It's. It's not uh, increasingly common. Um, so I have seen um, in the last few years, particularly a lot more people saying, "No, no, I don't want surgery." Understandable, surgery is not much fun. Um, you know, it's it's a big big deal. Um, but I want to follow. Um, I want to follow a diet. Um, I'm seeing it increasingly commonly. Um, or I'm seeing a lot more people who are um, going down, you know, conventional medicine, medical pathway, but at the same time they, they, they come in with a list of, you know, truckloads of these weird supplements and, you know, things that I've you know, not even heard of. Um, and I'm seeing that a lot more more commonly, but they're not they're never willing to take medications. <laughs> um, they're off, they just want to take their their natural supplements and things like that. So I'm seeing it a lot more commonly. I think and, I should say that I, I'm not I'm not necessarily opposed to you know um, some supplements or you know I don't think you can throw the baby out with the bathwater and say it's all bad. Likewise, nutrition we know nutrition is important to health, um, but I think when you start swapping one for the other. Or when what you're doing, say supplements, for example. So a lot of people who take, um, you know, supplements, herbal supplements or vitamins or things like that, they interact with medications that I give. 
Um, they can make you bleed in surgery, all these other sort of side effects that people don't know about um, that, um, you know, you need to be, they're, they're not benign and we need to be cautious about them. Do you find, though, that people are quite um, resistant to actually getting rid of the supplement as opposed to getting rid of the medication? Um, increasingly, yes. Yes, I do. Um, I, I, not... Um, I mean, it's, it, it's, it depends on the person a lot. It depends on their situation. But increasingly, yeah, we're seeing, seeing quite a bit more of it. Absolutely. It's so interesting how over the years we've become so distrusting of science and doctors and the medical mm. field. Mm. Oh, I was saying we have a role to play in that. You know, medicine, um, medicine was so paternalistic and patriarchal and still is to some degree. Um, yeah. You know, uh, they, you know, you could you know, you had this deference to the doctor. Um, you know, I don't sort of remember it as much in my lifetime. Um, you know, you would sort of have a discussion, but I know certainly, in, you know, for my parents and, and my grandparents, you know, just like, you know, whatever you say, doctor, um, there was this sort of um, almost godlike aura about them. And that's not, you know, that's, that's not accurate. And I think that's probably been created by both sides. I think it's been created by, patients you know in awe of these people but I also think that that, that doctors and you know these are largely male doctors um have uh, certainly enjoyed the the, <laughs> the esteem in which they've been held um and I think more recently as people rightly absolutely rightly want more autonomy over their bodies over what happens to them over the treatment choices and um you know things that they face that they are questioning uh, medicine and they're questioning science. And I think there's been a shift as well in, in medicine and doctors. So, you know, I, I certainly know um, I've had, um, you know, teachers and mentors who have been, you know, very, very much older than, than I am who sort of grew up in the, you know, the golden days of medicine when there was this deference to the doctor. Um, and, you know, they things have changed. So if, if a patient asked them a question that they didn't know the answer to, they wouldn't say, I don't know. Um, they would say, you know, they'd make something up or they would, uh, you know, sort of ignore the question or ignore the person. Whereas, you know, very much from when I started training, it was about, you know, being open and saying, actually, you know what, I don't know the answer to your question or science doesn't know the answer to, to your question. And I think as a result of that, people have realised, hang on, these people, they're just people and they're fallible and they make mistakes and they don't know everything. Um, so they, they, they question what we do. And I say people should question. You should 100% question, um, you know, what, what is going on. It is your body. Um, you have absolutely every right um, to understand what, what is happening to it and what options you have, um, you know. Uh, sometimes there's not many options and sometimes there is but you know it's it, it is the right thing to do and and it is also the right thing to do for for medicine and science more broadly to say listen this is what we know this is what we don't know we we you know we're working on this or we, we might never know the answer to this or we made a mistake here those things are right but that doesn't that doesn't translate to science not don't know anything or doctors being stupid or 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 not knowing anything or or conversely it doesn't make patients difficult for wanting to exercise autonomy over their bodies or for wanting to um wanting to understand what is going on with them so uh, it's it's a really interesting sort of i think it's a really interesting time and uh, of you know change and 
um, upset, I suppose. So I think it'd be it's going to be interesting going forward to see what's going on. Well, yeah, and something that I think is really interesting, and again, because of social media, I see it a lot more, um, is the idea that something can be factually false but socially accurate. And this idea about there's a benefit to disregarding actual facts and evidence versus kind of going with group beliefs and, um, you know, the following of the crowd to the social benefit. And, I mean, not to dive down the rabbit hole of anti-vaxxers, but you have a discredited British exposition falsifying studies, yeah. but yet the story lasts on even though it's been disproven several times over? Yes, 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 yes. And because I, I think that that, 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 um, that, story, um, that story harms so many people on so many sides. You know, it harms the science because people are like, oh, my God, people are, people are publishing things and journals are publishing things that turn out to not be true. I mean, what is wrong? What else is wrong? Um, yeah. And then, of course, you get people... Those those sorts of um, those stories are really um, they're really attractive to people who have um, some distrust and, and concern around around science and medicine. They hold on to them for dear life because that story that that research, as you say, even though it gets debunked or, or superseded, um, it's it's to them evidence that that medicine was wrong. Um, they are right, and you know um, you know in the case of you know that that particular doctor. You know there have literally been thousands of studies on millions of people that have had to happen to debunk what he says. Um, yeah. You know it just it's mind blowing the amount of resource that has gone into debunking this, and yet yet it, as you say, yet it persists. Yeah, I have um, a friend who she believes in vaccinating, um, and she often says to, or when when it happens, when she's having a conversation with an anti-vaxxer, she kind of says, "Well, would you take your, you know, six-month-old child to Africa without vaccinating?" And you can kind of see this pause in their mind where they're like, "Oh, well, hold on, living in the privileged society that we live in and having herd immunity, but what if I were to take them to such an yeah. environment where, you know?" And so it's kind of like, "Hold on, this this whole conversation around vaccinations is a privileged." chat it is it, it absolutely is and you know it's um we are we are so fortunate in this society i said this society is in a western um country that's relatively affluent um you know that we we don't have to worry about these problems we have the luxury of being able to um to make that choice and probably most of the time still be relatively safe and i think the same goes with any kind of wellness um, wellness information that is perhaps not that good for us. It's a very privileged position to be in that you can choose to um, have a kale smoothie or, um, you know, uh, buy an expensive, um, I don't know, what do people buy that's expensive? That well? You know, something from Goop, right, that you have that privilege to be able to afford that. You know, that's not health. That's not wellness. Health is is much broader than that. It is, um, you know, where you live. It is your socioeconomic status. It's your education level. It's your your income. It is your genetics. All these things that people forget that they are enormously privileged not to have to face those problems. And those are the things that um, that actually impact on your health. To think that your health is impacted on by, you know, some 
magical remedy sold for way more than some people will ever make in you know a month or or more um, is just so elitist, uh, and and that that really really grinds my gears when it comes to to wellness. It it pretends to be really you know egalitarian. It pretends to be really inclusive. It pretends to be feminist, and it's none of that. It is elitist crap. <laughs> I do love when I feel like there's been a fire lit in your belly and I can see it across whatever social oh, media platform you're sharing. <laughs> your sassy pants come on, as you say, and there'll be a, a yeah, cheeky tweet. It, yeah. it does make me laugh. Um, so moving moving a little on from misinformation, um, something that I've been finding really interesting as I guess I've started to read more books about data and women um, is the sheer idea that, well, not the sheer idea, but often when things are really studied and the time and money is spent, funded, we actually get to real truths. But when it comes to female conditions, um, they seem to be continuing to suffer from a lack of research due to the largely male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. You know, we can see via Viagra um, and all the money that's gone into it versus mm-hmm. women and the lack of research around PCOS, mm-hmm. endometriitis, the pill. I mean, for you as a doctor and you're there day to day, do you see this gender skew of the impact that it actually has on women? Yes. So my my big one of my big interests is in women's heart disease, which is incredibly underserved in research um, and in application in clinical settings. So if, when women have heart disease, they tend to be um, diagnosed later, um, and they get they're less likely to get the evidence based treatments. Um, they are less likely to do as well as a man. So if a woman has a heart attack, she's more at risk of dying than a man who has a heart attack. They're referred later for um, subspecialised care, including heart transplants. Um, and and the research, um, gender-specific research, just isn't there. Um, so what what all that means is, is that women, women do worse. Um, women have different biological issues. Like the biology of a man's heart disease is different to a woman's heart disease. Um, you know, th- those things are underserved by research that is specifically looking at that problem. The the other side of the coin, though, is that a lot of these, um, these sort of disadvantages that women experience in healthcare are social constructs. Um, mm-hmm. So um, there was a really big study done out of Sydney, I think two years ago, that looked at what happens to male versus female patients after you have a heart attack. Now, if you turn up to the emergency department with a heart attack, the treatment pathway is really, really protocolised. So if you turn up with, with a heart attack, you go to point A, then to point B, then to point C. It's literally a protocol that is very, very tightly controlled because we know that that protocol works and it saves lives. If you're a woman, you fall off the protocol. So that's, that's not because they're not having a heart attack. That is a social construct. That is someone making a decision to go, oh, no, 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 we're going to do this with her instead. So the researchers who did this, like I said, this is out of Sydney, out of Westmead Hospital, um, but they, they were really shocked that there was this massive difference um, and they were really, really shocked that not all of it could be explained by biology. Um, so I, I do see that. Um, I think we're starting to get a lot more awareness amongst clinicians um, that men and women have different presentations of, of many diseases, not just heart disease, because look, this research didn't exist when I was at medical school. We didn't know. We, we just didn't know. Um, and I think there's a, lot, there's a lot more of a push to make sure that we're looking at sex and gender in medical research 
Um, so it, it's, it's, you know, you know, a point that you might be judged to see if you're going to get a research grant or you're appropriately considering um, the gender balance of your, your population that you're studying. Um, that we're getting more female researchers. So female researchers are much more likely to look at um, data um, in women or, or at least a, if, if to see if there is a difference between men and women. Um, so I think that, that also, you know, comes back to what we spoke about first about, you know, women in medicine and women in surgery is that a lot of these questions about um, gender are not going to get answered um, unless we start to elevate women to a position where they're, they're there and able to do something about it. Absolutely. And I actually, before we move on, I would love if you can explain the difference, because ever since I found this out from having watched um, some of your content around a male heart attack versus a female heart attack, I tell all my female friends and they're all shocked that that's actually the symptoms that we get versus the usual um, picture in our minds that we have of how a male has a heart attack. Yeah, so um, when um, when we sort of think of a heart attack, we tend to think of, um, you know, that really dramatic Hollywood-style heart attack where someone grabs their chest and, you know, falls to the ground. And that's not true for everybody. Um, women tend to have slightly, can have slightly different symptoms, um, although this is now being called into, um, into question as well. But women, we would say, can be more likely to have um, things like discomfort rather than pain in their chest or just pain in an arm or in their back or in their tummy, shortness of breath, feeling tired, which is, you know, a really difficult symptom because everyone's tired, especially if you're a woman. Um, actually, I'm, I'm just tired from fighting the patriarchy. Um, and then um, uh, they, they can, you know, they can then have these vague symptoms which make it really hard to recognise both for the woman herself and uh, and for her caregivers, for, you know, doctors and nurses who might be looking after her. Um, so I think that the take-home message is that if you have if you have something that's not right for you, if you're not feeling well, you're not feeling yourself um, or you've got some funny niggle, don't put it off, don't ignore it um, and don't let anyone else ignore it by the same token. Um, make sure you get it checked out. Yeah, honestly, ever since I found that out, I tell everyone and all of my friends had no idea and I kind of think, well, isn't that interesting within itself how none of us know what we'd be experiencing if we're having a heart attack? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, well, it is one of those things. The Heart Foundation, um, I can't remember what year, what year this um, was done in. I think it was maybe three or four years ago, um, could be up five years ago. They did a survey of Australian women and only um, – I think only two out of ten women or three out of ten women um, thought that heart disease was something they had to be personally concerned with. We all think that it's something that, you know, is related to the, to the men in our life. So, yeah, we just don't know. The awareness isn't out there. And I know in, um, it's actually heart, uh, Women's Heart Month, uh, February is Women's Heart Month in, in the US, um, that they are um, seeing really good results from the campaign, which is called Go Red for Women, um, that they've managed to really, really improve awareness around women's heart disease specifically um, through this campaign over the last uh, last 10 years or so. Oh, I'm going to check that out. Um, before I ask you my final yeah. question, where can everyone find you? Um, so all social media, um, at Dr Nikki Stamp. Um, and you can find my website, uh, drnickystamp.com. And it's great. Whether it's for Mythbusters, sassy comments, or actually solid grounding information, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a social media that I love to peruse daily. 
Um, so oh, my final, really nice. thank you. <laughs> truly, I, I really do enjoy it because you also share information in an entertaining way, and it does make you just kind of stop sometimes and laugh at whether it's bullshit you've thought yourself. I know when I read Pretty Unhealthy, um, your second book, there were so many things at the start of it, and I thought, oh my god, I used to buy into all of this stuff, and then you know, I, I know, I know, you know, you and you kind of laugh at yourself, and then you think, oh, I can't believe I ever thought it, and then you realize so many people do still do think it, and so it's this nice little pendulum swing, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we're all in it together. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so my final question, um, and something that I like to explore, is what we want our world to look like. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure you might be familiar with it, but the veil of ignorance thought experiment, uh, it simply allows us to take a blank canvas mm-hmm. and imagine what the world would look like from a place of not knowing where we're going to end up. So where we're born, what gender, um, or our economic status. And so putting the veil on, Dr. Nikki, what does this world look like for you within either your work, life, or, you know, areas of expertise or experience? Um, so I think uh, I'm obviously going to go down a gender pathway. I, I think that um, girls and boys and men and women and, and those who fall outside that binary have equal opportunity, um, you know, to make choices um, and that those choices aren't unduly influenced by systemic structures um, that don't serve anybody. Uh, I think that it needs to be a place where you can be free to achieve um, outside of the bounds of, of some stereotype that you're supposed to live up to. Perfect. Pretty simple. Thank you so much Magic. for joining like, me that's today. Just, just that. <laughs> Just that and we'll be done with the world. Yeah, that's it. Sounds really easy, doesn't it? (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Nikki. Thank you for having me. It's been a lovely chat. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Modern Women. If this content is delivering value to you, it would be so helpful and appreciated if you head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher and rate and review us as that helps us build this incredible community. And ultimately, that is what this is all about, building this community as big as we can to help as many women as possible. And all of your ratings and reviews truly help with that. And before I go, a shout out to Chunky Love for the original music and to Mr. Darren Lake over at Podpace for helping me produce this show for all of you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.